Thanks, Spence. Thanks, worship team. And uh, it's good to be with you. Welcome to all of you. And those of you who are watching online, welcome to all of you as well. We just sang, uh, Greater You, Lord. Um, that, that, that's really the theme from Genesis through Revelation in the Bible. And uh, no more, no more uh, apparent is it than in the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms. But there's one Psalm that's especially familiar to so many people. Uh, that Psalm, of which these words are said by a historian. Take a look at this. This Psalm has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows and widowers in their pinching grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and, like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. And he speaks of Psalm 23. That's what we're going to be looking at for the next few days. I would imagine this psalm is being said right now by Ukrainian followers of Christ and Jewish believers as well. Perhaps this psalm, portions of it are tucked deep into your own heart because of things you have gone through or are going through. Um, This psalm is read at funerals more than any other words in Scripture. And it goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Beautiful, beautiful words, so poetic. What does it mean? And what does it mean for your life and for my life? Starting today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 for three weekends. We're going to do it like this. Today, just verses 1 through 3. Next week, verses 4 through 5. And then April 9 and 10, that's baptism weekend. We'll have baptisms right here in this room. And we'll take a look at verse 6 as it leads us into the idea of baptism. All right? So when you look at your scripture, maybe you have it in front of you on your phone or your actual Bible. At the very top, it says a psalm of David. And we believe that is it is a psalm of David. And here's why. You know, King David was not born into royalty. He was born into an agrarian family. And David took care of the family flock of sheep. He was a shepherd boy. He knew sheep, and he knew how to be a shepherd. And I think it would be good for us to just start with these first few words, the Lord is my shepherd, and sort of isolate a few of these words so we can better understand what David is saying. So first of all, let's just talk about the Lord and We won't take a lot of time with this, but throughout the Bible, there are many names given to God. There's one perhaps you're familiar with, a Hebrew word, Elohim. That's a name for God. It's the name for the strong, creator, mighty God who made us, right? But there's also the, the, the name Yahweh or Jehovah, which is translated in English, Lord. 
And that, that really carries the, the, the idea of a, a personal God, a very relational God. He is the Lord who covenants with his people and leads his people. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The, the, Lord, the Lord leads his people like, like a shepherd leads and lives among his flock of sheep. Maybe you've been in this room when I've talked about my friend Bob Stradley. I haven't seen him for many, many, many years. I used to work for Ohio State in, a, in the College of Agriculture as a county extension agent, and Bob was on my 4-H leadership council. And one day I visited him out at his farm. He was a sheep farmer. He was a modern-day shepherd. And um, we, stood, we, we stood there at his fence and looked out over the, the rolling pastures of Licking County. And Bob told me about his sheep. Bob knew and loved each and every sheep. That's the heart of a, of a, of a, of a shepherd. Uh, around that same time, I became familiar with, with a book that was actually published in 1970. Uh, it, it's written by a guy by the name of Philip Keller. And he, he wrote a book called A Psalmist Looks at Psalm 23. And in this book, it's, he's a shepherd, and so he brings his knowledge of sheep together with his knowledge of the Bible. And he says so many profound things in this book. This book is still on my bookshelf. I've had it for so many years. But these are some of his words. He says, sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. Now, what I learned from my friend Bob and what I learned from Philip Keller and other sheep farmers, it's this. And I'm glad there's no sheep in the room here because I would offend you. But sheep are not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. They're not the, the brightest bulb on the tree. Uh, some would say sheep, their elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. There's something missing there. They're just, uh, in, in the livestock world, they're not the smartest of the animals. And I wish I could show you a video right now, but because we're live streaming, I'm not allowed to show it to you because of, uh, of uh, copyright laws or whatever. I showed it last night. I'll show it the next hour. You can hang out. But if you want to search YouTube, just look for sheep in a ditch. <laughs> That's all you got to do. It's hilarious. It came out last year and I forwarded it. I don't know how many people. But it's just the picture of a sheep stuck in a tiny ditch and they're trying to get him out. The shepherd boy gets, finally gets the sheep out. The sheep gets out, runs 20 yards and goes right back into the same ditch. That's a sheep. Do you know what a cast sheep is? You know, you know sheep... When they lie flat on their back, somehow they get on their back. They cannot get up. They need somebody to come along and to pick them back up. That's the life of a sheep. Keller and my friend Bob, they'll tell you that, that sheep are, are scared of almost anything and everything. And oh, are they stubborn. And sheep will follow other sheep and do things you can't imagine. They'll go off cliffs like lemmings just because everybody else is doing it. No wonder my friend Bob gave so much attention to his sheep. Now, I know in this room, there's some very smart people, educated people, right? Above average high cues, but it doesn't matter. It's interesting, throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, God freely, freely refers to each one of us as sheep. 
And the truth be told, we can be fearful and frightened. And we can be stubborn. No thanks, I'll do it myself. Or no thank you, God, I don't need you. And we can also do what everyone else is doing without regard for consequences. We can find ourselves in a ditch and get out of the ditch and 20 yards later get back into another ditch. That's the life of being human. (laughs) Sheep need a shepherd. But we also need a shepherd. Notice what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice he doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. It's incredibly personal. The Lord is my shepherd. He is mine. And so, the reality that that David feels is the same reality, the same truth for anyone today who calls to the Lord as his or her shepherd. Um. If you you look at the Old Testament, especially Psalm 23, but throughout the Old Testament, what you'll see that it's continually looking forward to the day that God will walk among us. And he did one day. And this is what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Just like a shepherd walks among his sheep and knows the needs of the sheep, God himself in the person of Jesus walked among us because he knew exactly what our need was. When I first became a Christian, one of the first verses in the Bible I learned is the very one we'll hear repeated during Holy Week as we approach the cross. And it's these words in the book of Isaiah. All of us, we're like sheep. We've gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of it all, of us all. What's it saying? It's saying what the rest of the Bible says. It says that all of us, each one of us, are born into this world wanting to do our own thing, wanting to live autonomously, wanting to live apart from God. No, thank you, God. Don't really need you. And the Bible calls that our sin nature. And it's our sin nature that separates us from God. He keeps us separate. We're in a ditch. We can't get out on our own. But God, because he loves his sheep, comes and pulls us out of the ditch through the person of Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for our sins, giving us in replacement or in exchange the gift of righteousness, a right standing with God. That whoever believes in Jesus would not expend eternity apart from God, but with God. And so this is just a great time to pause and ask you and to ask myself, do we, do you, do you you believe, is your faith, is your belief in Jesus? I mean, what other recourse do you have? And if your faith is in Christ, then you can say with confidence, with David, the Lord is my shepherd. And when you can say the Lord is my shepherd, then we can go on and say the, very, the, the, the things that David says in this psalm. Next, what he says is this. I shall not want. What does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Does it, maybe David, because he's king of Israel, he doesn't need a thing. 
Or maybe because he's some type of superhero or super saint, I don't need a thing. I shall not want. Is that what he means? What does he mean? I shall not want. To gain an understanding of that, what I want to do is go into the New Testament and take a look at some words from Paul which shed some light on I shall not want. You know these, ver- these words, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You'll see this on the t-shirts of some athletes. You'll see it on a mug. You'll see it on a plaque. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And it's true, but often read out of context. What is the context for these important words? Paul is writing from prison, and this is what he says. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. With whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So what Paul is saying, essentially, I've got the strength to be content. Because at the end of the day, Christ is all I need. Which essentially is what King David is saying. I shall not want. Because essentially, at the end of the day, I have all I need. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a picture of contentment. Have you ever met somebody who's just, they just have like a sweet contentment about them? Just last week, I returned with a team from Burundi, and I can't wait to share the the results of the chapel's investment in Burundi and what the things we've seen there. It's remarkable. But I met a guy there again named Moyinga. He is, uh, you know, he has a little bit more than the others in the village, but compared to you and me, he lives in abject poverty. You can't imagine the poverty. And yet there is a joy and a settledness to him that I can't explain. There is a contentment. Why? He knows Christ, and that's all he needs. I'd love to tell you more about my in-laws. My my sweet mother-in-law just passed away two months ago, but they raised their five kids, including my wife, in in the simplest of ways. They were never discontent. They were content people. Why? Because the Lord was their shepherd. I just want to ask you, Are you always looking for the greener grass on the other side of the fence? A shepherd will tell you the sheep, there's always a sheep or two who are always looking to go to the other side of the fence. The grass is greener, but it never is. (laughs) They get there and they realize it's brown and I had it so good back where I was. And what do your kids see? And what do those around you see? Do you have Christ? Because at the end of the day, that's all we need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then David goes on to say these words. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. When I read those words, they're familiar to so many of us. I I just get the picture of rest and peace and satisfaction. And, you know, one day when Jesus comes again, he's going to bring heaven to earth, and that will be our complete reality, rest and peace and satisfaction, totally. But between this day and that day, how can I have a slice of that reality now? Philip Keller, the the shepherd, will tell you that it is virtually impossible to get a sheep to lie down and rest and experience peace unless certain things, are, are, are requirements are met. 
among them. Uh, they must be free of all fear. They must be free from friction with other sheep. They must be free from flies or other pests so they can relax. And they must be fed and freed from feeling hungry. I read those four things and I think, man, I am just like a sheep. I can be fearful. I can struggle with other people at times. Things can bug me and I can get hangry. (laughs) Physically hungry or just deep down soulish hungry. What do we do? What do you do? Is it possible to lie down and rest? The only way a sheep can lie down and rest, this is from Keller, the shepherd, is if they know that the shepherd is nearby. And that's true for us too. I want to show a verse to you from Psalm 4. Uh, David wrote this psalm. And these are his words. It comes at the end of the psalm. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, Lord, will keep me safe. And I think, how can he write those words? Because if you read what precedes it, his life is, he's in calamity. His life is coming apart. Everything is unraveling. How can you go to sleep at a time like this? Because that crippling fear, those long shadows of doubt, those cumulus clouds of uncertainty and the unknown cannot compete with the presence of the shepherd. That was true for David, and that's true for us. If you look at Psalm 46, you'll see that the earth is falling apart and that nations are at war. Sound familiar? And at the end of Psalm 46, David writes, Be still and know I am God. You'll see that on posters. You'll see it in different places. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know the rest of the verse? And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What does that mean? It means that God has a plan. And you need to know, and I need to know, like Joseph learned, and like, and like Job learned, and like Jesus understood, that behind the scenes, when all of life is hurting and falling apart, and there's a mess in Ukraine, and a mess in your life, and in my life, God has a plan. And he sees what you don't, and he knows what you don't, and he will bring his purposes to conclusion. So tonight, when you go to bed and you put your head on your pillow, you can know that the shepherd is near, is near. And even tonight, you can experience a slice of those green pastures and still waters. That's the gospel. David goes on and he says, he restores my soul. I I think of pictures like this. On the left, a beat-up old car, restored. On the left, a a beat-up old chair, restored. Maybe you're into restoration of some type. And to be honest, you know, I mean, some of us in this room could stand up and we could tell stories of decisions we've made or how life itself has come onto us and made us look more like the picture on the left. 
And we even begin to wonder, is there any way back to God? Does God even care for me? Would God love me with all of the things that I've done, the directions I've taken, the decisions I've made? I just got done reading through the Gospel of Mark. Have you read one of the Gospels recently, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? It's just the story of Jesus. And I'm reminded once again of the people who Jesus hung out with whose lives were broken, who had made terrible decisions. And yet Jesus, in his compassion and his kindness, he comes right alongside them, not condemning them, but loving them. And saying to them and saying to you and to me, just what we learned over the last six weeks, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. He will not take us to the scrapyard. He will not trade us in. He will restore, his, restore us by the, the work of His Spirit. Come to me. Just keep coming to me. But we must come. And we must follow. That's what sheep do. And he will put us back on the right path, which is how these first three verses end. By these words, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In some different versions it says, he leads me along right paths. Which means there are wrong paths in life, right? There are times when we make wrong decisions, take the wrong direction. There's an Irish proverb I just heard recently. For every mile of road, there are two miles of ditch. (laughs) I can stand up here and tell you so many things I'm grateful for and thankful for, and you could stand up right where you are and say, I'm so thankful for this and this and this. Let me just give you two things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that God has shown me what is right. How do I know that? Through the example of Jesus, he has given us his word, And he has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us walk that right path. I was in a men's group just the other day, the other morning at men's frat, and somebody said this, and it's true. Knowledge is knowing what is right. Wisdom is doing what is right. And God's word shows us what is right, and God's spirit gives us the strength to do what is right. But let me tell you, I have fallen into many ditches alongside the road. And that's the second thing I'm grateful for, that God in his mercy and his compassion, he pulls me out of the ditch and he brushes me off and he restores my soul. And he helps me along the right path. Sheep do not know what is the right path. The shepherd does. This is why the sheep follow the shepherd. And you and I, Apart from God, we would not know what the right path is, but he has shown us and he has given us the good shepherd who is Jesus himself. So let me just say in conclusion a couple of things to wind this up. The the Bible does not speak of some ethereal, ambient, impersonal God who does not know you. It speaks of the Lord who is intimately acquainted with your way and my way, who loves us, who came and gave his life for his sheep. 
It speaks of the Lord who wants to lead us and guide us and actually give us the kind of contentment we long for. It speaks of the Lord who can renew our lives, restore us, give us a fresh new start, lead us in the ways we want to go, and empower us to do so. The Lord is my shepherd. He's leading. Our job is to follow. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for the uh, reminder of how um, much you love us and how much you want to lead us and shepherd us. By your grace, give us the strength and the wisdom to follow you. And when we fall into the ditch, the wisdom to know your compassion is so rich and deep, your mercies are new every day, to call out to you, and you forgive. We are grateful for that kind of love. Thank you for the gospel of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's good to worship with you, and... uh, I just want to say on your way out in the lobby, there's that large wall that we're... If you want to invite somebody to the Easter program, just write their first name on there. We'll we'll pray that, that God will use you to invite them and they will come. All right, great. Good to worship with you.